So I'll ask our audiences, you know, mostly senior leaders, when you hear quiet quitting, what do you think that is? And most people, you know, fire off. It's disengaged, it's going through the motions, it's phoning it in, it's bare minimum. You know, it's doing the least amount without getting fired. And, and certainly there was a portion of that theme started with youth, you know, and kind of a, a TikTok trend of see how little you can do without getting fired. That was certainly a part of it early on, but then it manifested into something bigger and larger. And I, I, I had this room full of man, global manufacturing leaders a few weeks ago, and the resounding message was that. And then all of a sudden there was like, she's probably in her early thirties. She raises her hand. I say, well, what do you think quiet quitting is? And she said, straight face, she looked right, right in the eye. She's like, it's doing your job. Welcome to the follow-up from Premier Speakers Bureau, featuring in-depth conversations with the world's most in-demand keynote speakers. Hi, I'm Brian Lord, present here at Premier Speakers Bureau. Our guest, actually, this is kind of like Seth, you are coming on really quickly from your last one. So this may be the record for the most quickly you've had somebody back on. Uh, but for those of you who don't know Seth, extremely cool guy. He is an internationally renowned author and expert on workforce trends, business performance, founder and CEO of Future Sight Labs. He's talked to so many top companies. Um, John Deere, we're Farm Boys, uh, Farm Credit Council, IBM, Microsoft. He's been in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, entrepreneur, uh, is, is somebody who works really hard to get to know clients when he goes to speak to them. Uh, very nice, very approachable, not arrogant, even though he knows a ton. And we're excited to have you back on Workforce Trends because so much has changed in the last year, year and a half. So Seth, thank you for coming back on and being part of the podcast. Hey, thanks. Thanks for letting me to come back so early, so quick. I know for uh, for a double header here, but uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. I think it's a super relevant topic and you're so kind with the introduction. I need to bring you or record you doing that when I roll out on stage moving forward. <laughs> very kind with the praise, my friend. Yeah, when you put on your hype loop, you know, you got this Seth Madison <laughs> hype loop. Exactly. This is what's going on. Like listen to it before bed. That's the whole thing. Totally. Ladies and gentlemen, Seth Madison. Help myself so, up. Love it. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so, you know, we're talking about the future work. That's the reason why you're back on is yeah. because it's such a timely topic. You know, what has changed in your mind? Because it's been a hot topic for a long time. What, yes. what has changed in your mind over the last 12 months? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And you're right. Like it, it's been, I feel like it's always been a very relevant topic. I mean, we you know, I initially started my research around generational dynamics in the early 2010s. We pivoted that research into thinking about the future of work in 2013. And I feel like every year, you know, it was it was always a relevant topic. And then, of course, COVID just thrust it right into the, the zeitgeist of the moment. And then what I've found as of late, and my guess is you're seeing this with your clients and those tuning in, is you know everywhere you looked there was another article another piece of content on the future of work you know it's just almost overwhelming and i found that our clients what they were really looking for was the part of the conversation that wasn't being had or more specifically because it's changing so fast it was really important to be able to bring the most recent insight as to you know, how all of this was unfolding right now. Like you can't be talking about data from, you know, the fall of 2021 or quite frankly, even the spring of 2022, because it's changing so fast. And every day, you know, between the economy and the election, possible recessions and across industries, people are experiencing vastly different realities 
as it relates to the future of work and what talent needs and wants. You know, we've got the technology technology vertical, you know, laying off massive numbers of people, but we've got clients in manufacturing that still have record numbers of open positions and there's still a war for talent there. And so to your point of, of our work, you know, really trying to do the preparation on the front end to understand the industry, to understand the client, because you can't show up with sort of general generic insights. With that being said, I think there are one or two trends that I'd love to just call out of like, what are we seeing right now? The first is a trend that I would sort of categorize as the great disconnect. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by the great disconnect is we're seeing in the data, just as of this fall of 2022, there is tension and a little disconnect between leaders and employees today. And it's manifesting on two fronts. The first, Deloitte released really interesting data around people's overall mental health and well-being, which of course has been a hot topic. We've all been talking about it. And I'm sure like you, I've been very curious, like when will we feel like we've gotten over the trauma of COVID and sort of ready to move forward? And are there some of us who are still carrying lingering effects of its impact? And what Deloitte found is that a little over half of people, general people surveyed, and this was a global global survey set, a little over half of people identified their mental health as being good to excellent. So let's just say a little over half of people felt like they were doing pretty well. Now, in isolation, that's somewhat interesting. We can sort of speculate on that. But what was more interesting is when senior leaders were asked how they thought their people were doing, 87% of senior leaders thought their people's mental health and well-being was in the good to excellent category. Hmm. So there is this, that's a big variance of how well leaders think their people are doing versus how their people are actually doing. Now, depending upon how that's manifesting, it's like that can create a couple of, of challenges. First of all, we could say the fact that a little over half of people feel like they're doing pretty good, I think is phenomenal. Like we have to acknowledge that, that's great. What I find in focus groups and in our audiences is that there, I think there's a subset. I think that number is actually maybe a little high. I think there are a number of people who feel like they should be doing better than they are. Like they should be in this place of like, get on with it. We're past that. And you don't really feel like you still want to throw your hand up and be like, you know what? I'm not actually doing that great. That's one observation too, for leaders to overestimate that much it, it, what it speaks to is, are you able as a leader to drop in, particularly in your one-on-one -on -one quick check-ins with your teams to create enough psychological safety and space for people to really be able to communicate how they're doing, especially as we come into maybe an economic pinch and people are a little bit worried about their jobs. They're like, can I actually lean in and reveal how I'm doing? Over the long run, that's gonna catch up with us. We wanna be aware of it. The second disconnect that's really interesting to me is around what I would classify as uh, productivity paranoia. And this was interesting. This came out of Microsoft in September. So, you know, we're just a few months into this. Uh, a little over 80% of people thought that they were more productive now than ever before in these new hybrid settings, right? So feeling like I'm doing well, I'm getting my work done, I'm doing great. 87% of leaders said they were concerned about their people's productivity. 87 is not a good number. Right now. Not a, so you're talking like the exact opposite, almost the identical number of people who are like, I'm, I'm productive of, of, of talent. And the same number of leaders are like, I don't know about that. I'm actually really concerned about it. And so it's interesting. But, you know, the question that came to my mind is like, well, who's right? Mm -hmm. Like, is it just speculation? Are we just going off gut? Like, what does the data tell us? 
And Microsoft has interesting data around this because, you know, they're, they're running most of the platforms that, and applications that most of us are in working. They found that we've had a 153% increase in the number of meetings we're all attending since COVID started. So more meetings, almost a 40, I think it was 46% increase in the number of double bookings, overlapping meetings. So more meetings, more meetings on top of each other. And then they found that uh, a little over half of people are in their programs. They can see multitasking while they're on virtual sessions. And we all know what that is. So you're on your Zooms teams and you got an Excel spreadsheet, you're answering emails, you're doing other things. We're distracted. The biggest takeaways coming out of it, I'll hit these three and I'm going to toss it back to you, Brian. I'm like, well, what do we do about it? Mm -hmm. There's there's three things that the research pointed to really clearly that we're all going to need to focus on. The first is really helping talent set priorities in this new environment. Again, a little over 80% of people said one of the biggest things they were looking for that would make them feel more engaged is if their direct manager could help them prioritize what they need to be working on. Because they're overwhelmed. It's a, a million different directions, and especially if you're working hybrid or remote. You know, So over 80% wanted that. Less than a third said that their manager had done a good job of laying out priorities for them in the past year. So you look for like an easy place to start where there's a, a disconnect, priorities, Secondarily is, is focusing on impact over activity. You know, we're already seeing a lot of tracking devices. How long are people logged on? You know, we think we're, we have flexibility working remotely and people end up feeling like they're just plugged in 24 seven. Focus on impact over activity. And then last but not least, and this is for, you know, people who are trying to get hybrid right. And for those clients who are trying to get people to come back into the office periodically or some of the time, is to know that the reason people come into the office, the number one reason is for each other. Mm -hmm. It is about the relationships. And so if we're hammering on like, we need you back in the office, or I have so many leaders saying, you know, we're struggling. Everyone asks why, why are you making me come back? Why are we doing this? Especially if you have them come in and do the same work that they were doing at home in isolation by themselves. It does the opposite of supporting your culture. People come in for each other, for relationships. So that means as leaders, this is going to be, I think, a big thing for 2023 and beyond, is that you have to take, it's, it's more time and effort on leaders' shoulders to curate experiences of what are people going to do when, they, when we ask them to come into the office, right? It's about creation, celebration, collaboration, connection. I, I'm doing one of these four quote-unquote scenes with my team versus just we come in because we said so under the guise of supporting the culture. It does the opposite of that. My last thing I'll say is just for people to remember so many, and you've probably heard leaders say this too, I'm worried about my culture. It's why I want us back in the physical space. Your culture does not live in the walls of your building. Culture lives in the heart of your people. So get out of the mindset that culture can only be contained within four walls. Culture manifests across every, every digital and virtual tool we use, every interaction, whether it's a text message, a Slack channel, an email, those all become extensions of our culture. And it just forces us to sort of rethink, how do I want those values to come to life? So I'll pause there and, and sort of let you react slash take us in another direction. But those are two big themes I'm seeing right now in this moment as it relates to the future of work that we have to be talking about for 2023. Yeah, and that's one of the things, like I'm hearing that from event planners, you know, it's in sort of a microcosm of that. But when you do events, when you bring everyone back together, 
they want to spend it's it's almost like over programming like when the people get back mm-hmm. together as much as yes. we'd like to say the reason they want to do these events is to hear amazing speakers like seth madison it's not it's it's, not. it's, it's, it's so they can hang out with each other like i haven't yes. seen you in three years you know and and yes uh, it's you know it's building that time to connect and eat and do the hangout stuff that you used to do it's almost like the water cooler is more important than the stage and so i totally agree i totally so, agree but definitely still book speakers if you're listening to this anyway but I, uh, please but 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 brian to your point on that is like it's important for us as 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 speakers and thought leaders to in our messages help support connection that happens beyond us so mm-hmm. how do you do that you know thought-provoking questions prompts, activities, things that spark those deeper connection conversations that night at the bar and, and in meetings, that's a part of our role in this. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited for the, for the event space moving forward because it is going to be a critical com- component for supporting culture. So uh, from that, you know, so we were talking about the event space, what are the ways, like if you're a leader and you are really wanting to get people back into the office. So you've got the event space, mm. you've got the office space. How do you attract people, your current employees, and also future employees to the office space? It's a great question. So a couple of things. Number one is to the best of your ability and depending upon you know how much discretionary budget you have, at, at budget at your discretion and control, you have to make our physical environment as appealing and supportive as possible. You know, asking people to come into drab, dreary, not great physical environments, number one is going to be a a big headwind for us. So working with great outside resources that can help create beautiful collaborative spaces. That's one. Two, being really clear about our why. Why are we asking people to come back? It can't just be because we said so. And it can't just be this sort of generic you know, to support the culture. It has to really be about when we're together, again, I go back to this idea of the four C's, creation, connection, celebration, and collaboration. Like we're doing one of those four things, uh, uh, at least a portion of the time that we are together in the office and we are advancing conversations and projects that really you need face-to-face time to be able to do. The other thing I'll say is particularly for people who are early in their careers, you know, as a, as a manager or a leader, one of the big reasons we want those people in the office periodically is for the advancement of their career, for learning and development opportunities. It's really hard sitting in your spare bedroom by yourself. Yes, you can execute on your job, great, but it's building networks, it's job shadowing, it's overhearing conversations, it's sitting in meetings and following a, a leader that you're inspired by. And so, you know, your direct reports, thinking about especially people early in their career, if I get them into the office, it's helping them make the connection between when you're here, this is, I want to help you advance your career. I'm going to help you learn and grow. And let's talk about specific things we can do here that you couldn't experience when you're in your apartment by yourself. You have to communicate that why. Otherwise, people are thinking to themselves, why am I driving in 90 minutes in freaking traffic when I could have done this at home? And that is what a lot of right now at this time right in the morning, there's a lot of people who thought that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. It's, it is, it is one of those things that's very tricky. Um, one of the things I do want to make sure we, we building, cause we only have so much time here is, um, you know, talking about quiet quitting. I know that's something that mm. people are worried about, you know, with the, you know, sort of, do you think the great resignation is going to continue um, yeah. And then, and you know, where does you know quiet quitting fit into that? And you have some really interesting approaches to quiet quitting. So I want to make sure you're able to talk about those too. 
Yeah, yeah. Thanks for the prompt on that. You know, listen, we're at a stage now where people are tuning into this. We've heard that term quiet quitting for a number of months at this point. What I find in my audiences is that there's still a little bit of a disconnect around the nuance of what we mean by quiet quitting. So I'll ask our audiences, you know, mostly senior leaders, when you hear quiet quitting, what do you think that is? And most people, you know, fire off. It's disengaged. It's going through the motions. It's phoning it in. It's bare minimum. You know, it's doing the least amount without getting fired. And, and certainly there was a portion of that theme started with youth, you know, and kind of a, a TikTok trend of see how little you can do without getting fired. That was certainly a part of it early on, but then it manifested into something bigger and larger. And I, I, I had this room full of man, global manufacturing leaders a few weeks ago, and the resounding message was that. And then all of a sudden there was like, she's probably in her early thirties. She raises her hand. I say, well, what do you think quiet quitting is? And she said, straight face, she looked right, right in the eye. She's like, it's doing your job. And like the air just got sucked out of the room. People's heads twirled around like, what did she say? And the idea was that, you know, listen, it's not that I don't care. I care about the organization, but I'm, I'm putting boundaries in my life. I, I, from, from nine to five, I'll give you everything I got, but it's, trust me, it's seven o'clock on a Friday. I'm not thinking about the strategic imperatives for our quarter. I'm not. I'm, I want balance. And what I, I, I find frustrating in, in many leaders, and I can relate to this, and maybe you can too, is that if you think about the deal most of us as leaders got sold who are in a fairly advanced position today, and the deal was this, listen, come early, stay late, go above and beyond, take on every project that you can, put in the time, and good things will happen. You know, Bigger title, better pay, bigger office, et cetera, et cetera. And now we're trying to sell that same deal to the next generation of talent. And they're looking at us and they're going, yeah, but you don't look that happy. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know if I want this deal that you're selling me on. You, you seem stressed out, complaining about your kids and your wife and your health isn't in a good, like, I don't know that I want your job. And it's so almost offensive to us of like, what do you mean you don't want my life? <laughs> and so- <laughs> what it is it's like this is what everybody wanted and so you go above and beyond because you want to move up in the organization and so i think it's just a prompt for leaders of like get curious about trends like quiet quitting why why is that happening what have they watched what have they witnessed it's not just general laziness don't just immediately default to a stereotype and say what have they seen well they've seen older siblings and parents dedicate their lives to organizations only to be let go the second that the organization had to make cutbacks. So the idea of we're a family and et cetera, it, was that really true? And they're fighting for balance in their life. Maybe my part in that equation is I have to find a new value proposition of why someone would want to go above and beyond, a new what's in it for them. And maybe, maybe it is an opportunity to say, is finding balance for all of us. We still need to execute. Listen, every every leader that's tuned in right now, as you know, is trying to grow the business. Right? We still need to be in pursuit of growth. But if we grew at 5% instead of 25%, and that meant that people had some balance, better home life, better family, we think more holistically, you know, this whole idea of the human movement, right? More human-centric organizations. Everybody loves to talk about that, but to enact that means I have to care as much about that person as a human being. And the ripple effect of their life than just the bottom line. So the bottom the bottom line message to that, Brian, is just like, get, get curious. When you hear these trends, like things like quiet quitting, like the great resignation, 
is instead of jumping to our conclusions and, and labeling and stereotyping, get curious about why it's happening and then think about what can I control in that scenario to really engage my people and ultimately tap their best juice. To kind of build on that, you know, we're we're definitely in an era of uncertainty, you know, for leaders, mm-hmm. for people. You know, uh, what are the what are the best ways that you feel like leaders can can lead in times of uncertainty like this? It's, it's a great question. Yeah. You know, creating and leading change and transformation in a steady state where, where things are calm and a little more settled definitely is, is different and easier than trying to do that right now where there are so many external forces of uncertainty, whether it's the war in Ukraine, the economy, the market, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. People are frazzled. You're trying to lead change in a moment of time when people are burnt out, they're stressed, right? They, they, we survived COVID, we got through it. And then instantaneously, it's just like the drums of a recession start beating all of this unknown. And so I think a couple of things, a couple of really simple things for people to remember is just number one, companies don't change, people do. And so it's easy to sort of cast these big sort of like you know, high level initiative comments when recognizing at the end of the day, it's about individual behaviors. Number two, and this is a direct quote from my good friend and business partner, Peter Sheehan, is that in order to turn change into an opportunity, it isn't, we have to recognize that that change is first and foremost, a psychological journey and a strategic one second. You know, especially right now, as we go into the new year, so many leadership teams are gathering to set their strategic imperatives for the year ahead. And it's just like strategy, strategy, strategy. We just need the right strategy. But it's remembering is a psychological journey. It is the emotional component of getting people to move from. Yes, I am aware of what the strategy is into. I'm going to take ownership over the my actions that I have to take. It takes a behavior change. And the last of that is that as as goes the behavior of leaders, so goes the rest of the organization. So as you're gathering your leadership teams, it is being able to look each other confidently in the eyes and say, we are clear about the behavior changes we have to make and not just give lip service and not just nod our heads in agreement and then go back and continue to do the things we've always done. We have to set the tone so that we can we can be a, a, a representation for the rest of the organization. So to answer your question, in this moment in time, leaders have to be able to go first, demonstrate with their behaviors, recognize that your people are fried, frazzled, disengaged, they're tired of navigating change, and yet you still have to have a a compelling enough reason to get them to be on board with where you're trying to go. So last question here, uh, kind of put you on the spot. You know, you're the person who named your company Future Site Labs. (laughs) What are you uh, what are you most excited about? So we've had this two and a half years of craziness. What are you most excited about for yourself? And what do you feel leaders should be most excited about for the next two and a half years? Mr. Future. Yeah, thank you. know, it's a it's a great question. I appreciate you throwing that one out there. I'm always asking, what are you excited about? I think what I'm excited about is that I get to do and be a part of this work right now. I think it's maybe one of the most dynamic moments in our collective generation's history for the state of work. This COVID gave us an opportunity to really rethink, redesign, and reimagine how we want to do this thing. And my my biggest fear is that the, the future of work is going to look like a look a lot like the past of work. And we'll miss this opportunity to really examine how we want to do this. And, and I think what I've discovered in getting to work with so many interesting clients across a lot of different industries 
is that there is no one singular future of work. People ask that, you know, what's the future of work going to be? My answer is there, there isn't one singular future of work. There are only quote unquote futures of work, meaning there, there's this fracturing that's occurring right now as, as, as we see different organizations in different industries start to implement different strategies. Some are going to double down on the physical environment. Others are like remote is the future. Some will embrace new tools in the metaverse, et cetera, et cetera. So what does that mean? That means you have to claim the version that is right for your organization. And, and, and so it's exciting because it's sort of like, cool, we, we, could, we can pick what we want, but there's also pressure there to be intentional about that because if you don't intentionally pick the path that's right based on your culture, your vision, your organization, right? One is just going to organically happen and it may not be one that takes you in the direction that you wanna go. So there is no one future of work, there are only futures. Claim the version of it that's right for you and 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 my hope is it's one that's that's human centric, that's that's heart led, and that's freedom infused, and thinks about people in a holistic fashion, while simultaneously being able to serve your clients and your communities at at at, at your place of highest service. That's great. I love I love to pick the futures. It's like you you've been listening to the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, with the multiverse of madness and everything else. So you've got your mu- totally. your future multiverse totally. here. You choose it. Totally. So I love it. Awesome. Totally. Well, thank you, Seth, so much for coming on and for sharing these insights. I know you've had a, an amazing impact on so many different people and will continue to do so with clients. So thank you for everything you bring to, uh, you know, business world, professional world, nonprofit world and, uh, and, and everything you do. So thanks, Seth. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Take care. Thank you for joining us for the follow-up. To learn more about today's guests, go to premierspeakers.com. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen.